Coffee, Cows, and Crops is produced by the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association and hosted by Extension Coordinator Johanna Murray. On this podcast, we discuss management practices and research results with scientists, ranchers, researchers, and farmers. We strive to share innovative information and farming practices supported by sound science and practical wisdom. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get learning. everybody. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Coffee, Cows, and Crops. Today I'm talking to Karen Lindquist uh, from Battle River Research Group about late season grazing and managing your pasture so it'll have the best chance to recover next year um, and drought management and all that good stuff. But before we get into that, Karen, would you like to introduce yourself? Tell me a bit about how you got started in perennial range management. Sure. Okay. Thanks, Joanna. Um, yeah, my name is Karen Lindquist. I'm the Environmental Forage Extension Agronomist with the Battle River Research Group out of Forestburg, Alberta. Um, so how I got into range management, it's a bit of a long story. So it, was, it wasn't exactly range management, but basically at elementary school age, even younger than that, I threw, it was through my interest in, in cattle and my, that my dad raised in the farm. How I really enjoyed going back out to the pasture every chance I got. Even if it was twice a day, I'd go biking out there. I'd take my bike out and I'd go running out and just to check on the cattle and check on the on the pasture now. So I really enjoyed that. Um, I had an avid interest in nature stuff way before I went to school and well before I started learning the different Latin and, and common names of the plants uh, that I saw. So that, I think, encouraged mom and dad to get me sent off to university after I graduated from high school in animal science. So how I got really got into that was basically when university, I started, I just out of curiosity, took a course in range management. It was actually the range land principles and practices. Um, and that was through our doc, Dr. Ed, Ed Bork. So he was, he was my prof there. And uh, so I just took it as a free elective. Right? Curious to see, see what, what goes on there. Mm-hmm. And it was just part of my animal science degree. So that was at the University of Alberta. Uh, and I, I ended up liking that course so much that I wanted more. So I took some more uni- university courses on wildlife management. And then I went and took a course on the Western Canadian main range plant communities. Mm-hmm. And that involved a lot of plants. I did a patient. So we actually had to ident- um, memorize and identify about 120 species of plants in that Ooh. course. So that was fun. I really enjoyed that. So, and of course, that wasn't enough. <laughs> <laughs> it so, never is. No, it wasn't. No. So, so I had to go, so I had to get a summer job through the Range Land Research Institute, working with Dr. Karen Carlisle and several graduate students on different projects. So, we did Sicer Milk Batch, helped with building uh, grazing exposures and all that kind of stuff. So, so I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. That was that was quite quite some. So then I took it even further, but more towards the perennial uh, team forages. And when I got hired by the government of Alberta to be a forage, forage beef specialist um, at the Ag Info Center for four years and three months, I was able to stretch my plant nerd skills literally plant plant nerd. I mean that <laughs> on forages, rangeland, pasture, and plant ID to help farmers out with the various concerns and questions that they had. 
So now I realize I no longer I'm just talking about getting started, but how I immersed myself into it. I guess you could say I'm still getting started because there's always stuff I'm always learning as I as I do pasture walks and range assessments, seeing different land and different plants, different farms across the province. So it's pretty cool stuff. So speaking of perennial pasture, great segue. <laughs> yeah, there we go. So when it comes to perennial pasture, is there something that's kind of top of mind for you when you're thinking about managing through droughts? Oh, yes. Yeah. So the big one uh, is plant stress. So we're, we're, we're thinking about plant stress. We're thinking about um, how drought stresses out plants on uh, several different faucets, I guess you could say. So now we have to remember that, well, drought isn't just a lack of moisture, right? We always think about drought as being, oh, there's not enough precipitation and and all that fun stuff. Well, a drought can also be, in my mind, it's about daytime temperatures and about the relative humidity. So depending on the plant species, there's a lot of moisture that is prone to being lost through the leaves to matter as they photosynthesize. So they lose a whole lot, right? Because they, they got to take some in in order to, to do their, their photosynthesizing to, to grow, to, to produce their seeds and all that. So when you get days that are with very low humidity combined with hot, hot days, and I know all about that. Yeah. <laughs> a few weeks ago, it was just, yeah. So anyway, those hot days, those plants get stressed out to no end. So what I mean is that they get stressed for moisture. So the plants can only expend so much energy to get what they need in terms of food for themselves. And expanding energy means they have to lose some water. When that water isn't being recharged in their root systems, compared with what they actually need, and not just the root systems, but also in their upper leaves and their stems, that kind of stuff, they basically start panicking. If plants can actually feel panic, right? So when that happens, they get the sun instinctual inherent urge to hurry up their growth cycle so they can flower, set seed, and then go to dormancy, go into dormancy to preserve what they already have for energy. Should they prolong that goal and make offspring, they could die before reaching that goal, and no plant wants that. So that's that's their goal is is to put put out the seeds. What their main goal is. So see, this is in the context of feeling that heat, that dryness, that moisture stress from not just one single day or a few days. This is over weeks at a time. The plants are going to get stressed now and then by a day or two of sudden downpours from a thunderstorm. The mass of cool air moving in as weather conditions change, or a few days of hot temperatures before things settle back down to normal. So what? No big deal. The normalcy is what counts for those most of those plants. But when it gets abnormal, like drawn up for days and days and days on end of nothing but hot temperatures and and uh, lack of moisture, night, that's when the shits and hits the fan. You could say <laughs> <laughs> that's that's when those plants are like okay. It's time to get our act together before we hope before we hooped before Jack Frost comes around. So it's time to get those flowers out and seeds seeds matured before it's too late. And that doesn't matter how tall the plants are. It's, the height is absolutely relevant. It's they gotta get like I said before. They have to get those flowers out. They have to get that seed set. Right. So just as I said, so you get plants that aren't as tall as you like. So you get forage productivity, forage yields that are crap. There's just, just there's just so low that nope, there's not much a person could do really do with them. So in plants heading out two to three weeks earlier than normal, 
Yeah. It's it's just not a good thing to have happen, but it's just it's just the plant's plant's response to, to the stress. Right. So now I've been talking about plants, but what about the soil? Mm-hmm. Right? Soil biology gets stressed too in hot, dry weather, especially when the perennial stands don't have the litter cover that it needs to have to keep the soil surface cool. So that's so we're talking in context of pastures, especially because I've seen pastures that are better than others, and others not so great. And sometimes you get the ones that are not so great, and they're put, being pushed pretty hard. That you get, you get some of that that bare soil that's that's that can be a little bit concerning. So. It was actually really interesting. We did a bunch of pasture walks here in July, and they were hot, pretty hot days, but we always go out with a shovel and dig into the soil. Yeah. And the first, one of the first places we went had some pretty good litter cover, so we pulled out a handful of soil, and it was cool to the touch, yeah. and stayed cool to the touch for a while, but it had a, a nice litter layer on it, like yeah. lots of thatch, and yeah. yeah, it was quite nice, actually. <laughs> That's good, yeah. Because when you don't have that that litter cover, that that's where the soil biota really suffers. Mm-hmm. Solar energy from the sun is just absolutely amazing. How much it can heat up the soil, and when it heats up the soil, those, those first few inches of soil, basically those the soil they can't they can't really survive much. I mean, some of them can survive. It just depends on how hot the the temperatures get. But that that can be a, a bit of a, a bit of a bad thing. So. If you have less soil biology doing your thing, that signals to the plants that something's up and it's not a good thing. Especially when the litter cover isn't just adequate to help mitigate that solar heating happening there, like you mentioned. Then on top of that, if the pasture has been overgrazed for a few years before those dry conditions are happening, it's just a compounding of really bad brain wreck waiting for a place to happen. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So in these super hot, dry conditions, if we do have to take more uh, off of these pastures, um, what what are the rules in those sorts of situations? What can we do to like reduce, I guess, the negative effects of of that hard grazing? So that's a bit of a tough call there. Um. There, there, there's, there's a point where in the fall, when the plants have gone dormancy, I mean, you're safe that way. You're safe to, to, to do something with them that way because they're not growing. They're not relying on their, on their they call it the green photosynthetic solar panels, right? You need that to, to grow them. And, uh, and, the, and then you're a, bit, you're a bit more safe to take, to take at least something, right? Mm-hmm. At least to take something to, to graze. Uh, but on the other hand... You need some litter, plant residue, those other terms, um, in order to catch snow. Right. So the question is, how much do you have left behind? If you only have four, four to six inches of stuff left behind, you, you run the risk of certain spots, because we all know animals are not going to be grazing evenly on the pasture, especially in a continuous grazing system, because animals are do their thing. They don't listen to humans. They don't read textbooks. <laughs> we all know that. Um, so, you, so it's a question of whether those spots are actually going to have enough litter cover behind to, to catch snow. Right. So it's a bit of a catch-22. It. I always say, like, it depends. It depends on a person's context. So it's like you have either lots of litter, lots of pasture, and you're lucky that way, or 
you don't have much. And so then you're kind of forced to think about some feeding options, some male grazing options, um, looking to your neighbors to graze some crop residue, if there is any behind it. So basically when you're, when, what if, what if you have to graze still when the plants are growing, right? Mm-hmm. So how can you manage that without, without hurting those, those plants? So the, the perennial crops and even, even pastures as well, um, the thing is, is that you got to make sure those plants are not fully mature because there's there's so many different things that, that could happen, right? So I keep talking about that. But um, what if it rains, right? What if it rains in, in a couple of weeks? Because you always always like to say every day that goes by is a, is another day close to the rain mm-hmm. because you you got to be caught up in the well. It's never going to rain. Well, you know you don't know that. <laughs> you don't know when the next one inch of rain is going to come to be a thunderstorm, right? So. So you still have to kind of gamble it. Like farming is and matching is totally a gambling gambling game is what it is, you know. So taking printed crops off when you're not fully mature is probably the best thing, but you have gotta do it strategically, right? So you gotta time it when before those plants go to seed. Because when they go to seed, that means they've gone to maturity. And when they've gone to maturity, they go into the dormancy. And when they go into dormancy, there's a very likely chance they're not going to be much green stuff coming back up, right? And it depends on the species too, because there's some like um, a lot of the tame grasses like smooth brome, meadow brome, uh, timothy, you know, and uh, reed canary is, is another one. But usually the, the bromes that I've seen, reed grasses, I'm not too sure about. Usually if the temperatures are right, if the conditions are right, they're going to be sending up new tillers. So they're going to be sending up daughter tillers when that when that parent plant has gone to maturity so however so when you when you've when you cut those plants um cut nice and high so that you're cutting off the flower right you're, you're cutting off that that flower you're putting those plant you're setting those plants back life's the life cycle is basically an s curve for their you know there's a little there's they're growing up a lot and then they kind of tee off a little bit it's just just when they're getting ready to put a flower up and all of a sudden they're putting up a flower, right? So that's the S-curve. So when you're cutting them at that, when they're just, when they're flowering, just like just after flowering and you're setting them right back, that means those plants are going to be forced to restart from their, from their growth points, from the very base of the plants to put up a new flower head and to try again, because as we discussed before, the, Life goal of every plant is to set seed. Every every plant. It doesn't matter whether it's a weed, whether it's Canada thistle, or whether it's it's alfalfa, right? So when you set that that plant back, that plant now has to put a bit of energy into the leaf material because it also depends on how, whether you've taken a little bit of leaf off. Um, it ultimately tends how fast that plant's going to come back, right? So when, when the plants are already stressed, the, the recovery of those plants is going to be pretty slow. And then all of a sudden, if you get rain, also those plants are just going to take off because on you because they're like, holy crap, I got rain, now I can grow, mm-hmm. right? Now I can so do all the things. Yeah, and that's, they're, they're just like, they're so happy. So, but the thing is too is that a lot from last year, the moisture from last year and, and from the, the spring the spring runoff, it, it, it depends on how much 
soil moisture is in the ground, right? Right, because they're going to be pulling a lot, lot of stuff from the roots. The, for for people listening, um, ask yourself these questions when when you're trying to figure out whether what you should do with with your pastures or with your, your hay crop. Um, was last year a bad year as well? Because I know people are listening from all over besides the Peace Region. Um, were you were you coming off a bad year or were you coming off a wet year? Is it maybe a time when the stand will need to be need to rest for a year or just be topped off and what can't be harvested left to add a, a bit of plant residue, a bit of litter where it counts. So like I've already said earlier, there's a lot of it depends here. So you really got to think about your context. So that that's just so important. So it's just, so that is basically a round rounded indirect answer of how to of answer, <laughs> of answering the question, Joanna. So. Yes, well, <laughs> so I guess to continue our, our uh, questions with the answers that are probably it depends. What are some things, like for those of us who've had, who have had to push our pasture a bit harder than usual this year because cows keep running out of grass, mm-hmm. um, are there some things we can do over the, over the fall and into the winter and maybe even next spring that will improve our chances of the pasture recovering and kind of mitigating those, those impacts of overgrazing? It depends. So one thing I like to say is that giving those pastures a bit of a rest is going to be really important. I know it's hard. I know it's, it's hard and you have umpteen different cows, you know, to feed and sometimes having to sell off some of your worst animals, like your cull cows, the heifers you don't want to be keeping, some of the steers, you know, um, things like that are probably going to be helping because that's just going to be less animals to feed, less animals to be putting out on pasture, especially if you're already limited to forage, the amount of forage you're going to, um, you're going to be have to feed. So, um, giving those pastures a rest is going to be pretty important. Um, in the fall, it's, it's pretty hard because once plants gone into dormancy, that is the rest period. You know, they're all, re- they're not really coming back for anything. They're just done. Right. Right. So and the, other, the other thing too is um, there's going to be change in management. I think we're going to be talking about this in, in a little bit here um, about how we how you can change management in order to leave plenty of that plant residue behind and catch a bit of a bit of that snow. Um, sometimes Fertility will help putting down some fertilizer, uh, you know. But you got to remember that fertility, the fertilizer may not help, especially if you don't have enough moisture in order for those pellets to get into the ground and get those plants to feed those plants, mm-hmm. right? Because um, you, think the rule of thumb is you need an inch of rain in order to basically help get that fertilizer going. And if you don't have enough rain. You're, you're basically tossing money down the toilet is what you're doing. Yeah. So. Actually, on that note of applied fertility, um, we did just wrap up a project here at Peace Country Beef and Forage Association on uh, fertility, specifically in cropping systems. But um, what we did notice was that uh, applied manure actually performs really well. Like, it, it's a really good fertilizer. And in in... Our trial was only three years, so there's a lot of 
it depends in it <laughs> as well. Uh, but in, in that specific scenario, um, the applied manure actually outperformed the manure that was uh, distributed just by grazing. And I'm hoping to get Akeem for a whole podcast <laughs> episode on this on this trial later this winter because it was really cool. Um, so what kind of, was it solid, just a solid manure with liquid manure? It was it was a solid cattle manure. Okay, so that's interesting. Yeah, so if you're cleaning out your, your uh, that actually that makes a lot of sense because when, when you're cleaning out the manure in Lord North, because I, I grew up with a farm, dad was always doing that. Mm -hmm. Every year he'd be cleaning out the, the shit, the pat, uh, corrals. Yep. Um, after we have our, our steers went out to pasture. So he'd be loading up a few dump trucks to put out the fields. And I know why it's better because the manure has, a lot of it, the manure has already decomp decomposed, right? So they're decomposing these piles now. When they're decomposing, when this manure is is important that the quality is a little bit higher because because the manure is being mixed in with the straw and with the hay that's been wasted by those animals, right? So then you're getting carbon. So that that's the that's the carbon. So we're gonna be talking about so health a little bit. The the carbon there's a carbon element in in that manure, and not just a high nitrogen source, which is a lot of the what a lot that that kind of cow manure is, right? Mm -hmm. So that way you've got, you're basically putting out compost in a way. It's, yeah. it's manure, but it's a, it's composted manure. And so when you're putting that, that carbon out, new carbon and nitrogen source out onto the land, you're feeding the, the soil microbes and making the soil microbes happy. And therefore you're making the plants happy because now the, the soil microbes have something to, to get in order to feed the plants through um, the rise of bacteria, through... Uh, what was that buzzword I love that our muscular microbial fungi? Um, it's some pastures too. Like if, if people are not have the, the the really high stock densities of pasture management. Like if you're not like I was listening to to Gabe Brown's book on the way up here, Dirt to Soil, which is a great book by the way. Shameless plug. <laughs> there you go. Um, if if people are not putting something like what the late Neil Dennis put in like eight eight hundred thousand pounds of beef per acre. That's a lot of beef per acre. A lot of live animal weight per acre. A million pounds per acre. Holy man. Um, if they're not doing that, that a lot of the manure is that dropping out the back end of the cow is is either going towards the areas where they're going to be laying down mostly, or where they're they're accumulating to be getting their water, getting their mineral, and less of it is out in pasture. So right. these have been a, been a bit of a problem that way. So there's that. But if, on the other hand, if you're, too, if you're still rotation grazing, you know, but, but you're still don't have that high stock density, then obviously you're not going to be getting as much. You're not going to be feeding so much on, on those plants. So it's, it's kind of a, that kind of thing. So. Yeah, so it's, it it depends on the management too, but it's yeah, fascinating stuff. So yeah, there's a, there's our little tangent. All right, is there anything producers should be looking out for in their pastures next year? Now that they've kind of managed through this year's drought, you know they're doing their their practices over the winter. Is there things that we should be looking out for in pasture next year? 
Um, there's there's a few things that come to mind. Um, person is gonna have to check the regrowth. You're gonna have to be checking the regrowth, so how um, how those those plants are actually recovering. When you check in regrowth, you're also checking whether there's there's a bit of winter kill or not, because that could be you know the snow cover will impact the the, the plant's recovery. Right. Um, and of course, so, you know, litter left behind, catch snow cover, those sort of thing. So check, also that's what I just mentioned about checking the litter cover, how much litter do you, do you have? Is, um, is it going to be okay or is it still something you need to work on, on the, the following year? Um, the other thing would be, um, the next year would be take a shovel out and, uh, Dig around and, and look at the roots and see see what's going on in the in the root zone. Because um, too many times you're always looking at just the above ground. Oh, it looks green enough, it's fine. What about what's happening to the roots? Right? Are those roots shallow or are they are they getting nice and deep? If they're getting nice and deep. That's 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 a good thing. If they're shallow, there's there's some some issues that need to be addressed in in management practices. So, um, yeah, those are those are pretty much pretty much the main things. Um, species count might be if if you need some you know have to do assessment of what kind of species are coming up in your pastures that might be another thing because um, certain species can be indicative of, of different different situations so the other thing is that you know there's certain certain species that are that are a little bit more sensitive when it comes to uh, overwintering like certain legumes are a little bit a little bit like drama queens when it comes to that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough, I felt alpha. And sandfoin. Sandfoin is, yeah, it's, it's a bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it's those, those things like that. So, recap, check growth, check your regrowth, check your litter cover, take out a shovel, do some digging, and, and check what kind of species you've got in the pasture. And check out, so, and litter cover also is, Another word for how much bare soil is, is out in the past. It's just basically doing a past assessment. Right. And if people are interested in, in the Peace Region, I have uh, printouts of those pasture assessment sheets, which kind of walk you through the process of doing a pasture assessment. So if you've never done one before, they're kind of handy to have. <laughs> All right, I think we're out of time for this episode, but Karen and I did end up having quite a long chat. So next week we'll be back with the rest of our discussion on winter feeding and resilience to improve pasture recovery. Until then, be sure to check out the resources in the description. Um, I can put a link to the uh, Alberta Forage Manual in the description of the podcast. That's helpful. Um, that's a really useful little book. I think, I don't know, beefresearch.ca, I think they might have some stuff on drought resilience, so that might be okay, yeah. the worth looking into. Um, I think basically, uh, you know, in the, in the context of, great, of grazing management, Great Judies has some great resources. Um, check out some stuff by uh, Jim Garrish on management intensive grazing. Mm-hmm. And I did mention about holistic management. Most management is, is another thing, a decision-making tool. Um, so maybe not include that, but I think I think those those ones are good. Um, and there might be some information from research done done by University of Alberta with the Ranger Research Institute, what they've okay. been doing. So that might be good. But other than that, yeah, that's, yeah. that's about it. 
Yeah. I guess uh, the only other thing is a uh, plug for the Ag- Applied Agriculture Associations, or Applied Research Associations, I should say. Uh, if you're in Alberta, give PCBFA or Battle River Research Group a call, and we'll be able to point you to your local um, ARA, and they can let you know what they've done, or at least connect you with some resources that are a little local, more local to you um, for drought management, all of that Peace Country Beef and Forage Association is a research and extension group based out of Fairview, Alberta. Our mission is to help producers thrive in an agricultural system that is profitable, regenerative, and attractive to future generations. To learn more about what we do and see the results of our research trials or our archive of newsletters and fact sheets, check out our website at peacecountrybeef.ca. Want to get in touch? Have a burning question or a topic suggestion? Send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for listening.